Lord Jesus, it's only by your Spirit that we can be lifted to your throne. And so we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning to help us know you and to help us return to you in the places in our lives where we've wandered away. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. When I was growing up, I had a dog named Boots. And the problem with, there are many problems with Boots, but the thing that I really got annoyed about with Boots was that she was always running away. If we would open the door just a crack, we'd feel this frenetic pushing at our feet as Boots struggled to get free. And then she'd break out and just run down the street every chance she got. I think she hated us. And we'd chase after her and call her, and and she did this really irritating thing where she'd stop, and then just as we were about to get close enough to grab her, she'd run away again. And she would do this for hours until we would just give up. You know, go ahead, run away, you stupid mutt, what do we care? (laughs) Well, we're all a little bit like boots, aren't we? That's what you're supposed to say after a story like that. (laughs) You see, the problem was she didn't know where she was best cared for. I fed her, I gave her water, I loved her, and she still ran away. And that's really the problem that the prodigal son has. He doesn't understand how much his father loves him and how much his father has to give him. And so basically he says, Dad, you're not dying fast enough for me. So give me my money now so I can go spend it on what I want. And then he goes to a far country. Not just geographically, but in his heart as well. A far country that promises adventure and freedom and pleasure. Ever do that? Ever wander away from God in some part of your life? To some far country that promises so much? I do it all the time. Things like concern for my own comfort that keep me from following him impatience with other people because I'm so focused on my own agenda. Just plain old ignoring God, not having enough time for Him. An unhealthy obsession with success, a desire to please people more than I desire to please God. And I'm a pastor. Y'all must really be struggling. (laughs) In all kinds of ways, I leave God to go to some far country cash in everything that God has to offer for what that far country promises. And the result is always a disaster, just like it was for the prodigal son. It took him just a short time to squander everything it had taken his father a lifetime to earn. And then there was a famine, and he began to starve. And that is always the result of our wandering away from God. We think it's going to satisfy us, but in the end, we just starve. As I've told you, in high school, I was very rebellious. And after I graduated, I decided to move in with my girlfriend, which was a terrible mistake. It hurt my parents very deeply. In fact, I can remember both my mother and father crying over it. And in the end, it hurt me. Within a matter of months, the relationship fell apart. Can't imagine why. And I was left alone in an apartment in Seattle without friends, resources of my family, and wondering what I had just done to my life. 
what started out as an adventure ended up a lonely disaster. Our workaholism, our fixation on getting material things, sexual sins, addictions, busyness, gossip, unhealthy relationships, all the far countries we go to just end up leaving us with wrecked relationships, frenetic lives, broken hearts, and loneliness. But it's when we're in those places, that far country away from God, that we have a choice. Do we hang on to the decisions we've made or do we return to the Father's home where we're loved? And that's why Jesus tells this story. To convince broken people who are running away from God that if they just turn around, which is what the word repent means, turn around and go home, they would find that they still have a place in their father's house. In spite of what they've done, in spite of where they've been, in spite even of what religious people might think of them. Jesus tells this story so that when we are in those far countries, we remember three important things about our father. And the first is this. The father has good eyesight. The father has good eyesight. The text says that while the son was still at a distance, the father ran to him. And what that implies is that every day this father was scanning the horizon for a glimpse of his son. It is in God's nature to search for what is lost. Before this story, Jesus tells two other stories about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to just go find one lost one, and a widow who spends all night looking for one lousy penny. And at the end of those stories, Jesus says, isn't it right for the shepherd and the widow to do this? And my answer is, no. It's not cost effective. I mean, the labor costs alone outweigh any potential gain. But the father is different. He has good eyesight and he is always searching for what is lost, which is great news for us. Because so often we feel lost from God. And in those times, the promise of God is he is always looking for us. Campus minister I know tells a story of a young man caught in all kinds of sins and all kinds of troubles. So he moves to Alaska to get away from it all. But he ends up being surrounded by uh, Christian roommates, Christian co-workers all over the place. So he came back. <laughs> a year later, this, this campus minister ran into this young man over in Ellensburg, and the young man told him the story and said he figured that God must be very angry with him to plague him with so many Christians. <laughs> and the campus pastor said, no, it's the opposite. He must love you very much to go to all this trouble to find you. The young man said that it was then that he stopped running away from God and let God catch him. The father has good eyesight, and when we are lost, he is looking for us, hoping that we can be found. That's what Christmas is about, that he would come from heaven to earth in human flesh just to find you. The second thing Jesus wants us to remember about the father when we have wandered away from him is that the father is good, but he's not fair. He's good, but he's not fair. I think the elder brother in this story has a legitimate complaint, don't you? (laughs) 
He's been good. He's stayed home. He's worked in the fields. And now his prodigal brother just waltzes on home and he gets the party. Well, la-ti-da. Isn't that nice? It's not fair. And preachers are always chastising the older brother for not understanding grace. Oh, no, no. That's not his problem. He understands grace very well. He understands that the grace of God is not fair. And that's good news. Because it means that all kinds of people get forgiven that absolutely don't deserve it. Sinners, tax collectors, elder brothers, prodigals, you, me. The problem with the elder brother is not that he doesn't understand grace. The problem with the elder brother is that he doesn't think he needs grace. Notice how he distances himself from his younger brother. He, he says to his father, this, this, this son of yours who devoured your living with prostitutes. You know, he doesn't say, my brother. And, and by the way, where did prostitutes come into the picture? The text never says anything about it. Guess it must have come out of the elder brother's head, huh? Maybe what he would have done with the money. I mean, where did it come from? You see, the elder brother needs the father's grace just as much as the younger brother. But he would rather earn his father's approval rather than get grace. He'd rather earn his father's approval through hard work. That way he can feel superior to his younger brother. I got it the old-fashioned way. I earned it. I understand that. Maybe you do too. I, I, I work hard to be virtuous. And I expect other people to do the same. If I were writing this story... I'd have had a different ending. <laughs> I would have had the younger son come home, beg for forgiveness, and then the father would restore him as a hired hand. <laughs> and he would have learned his lesson, and all the neighbors would be so impressed with how generous the father was, and the younger son would be happy just to have a job, but his lowly position would always remind him that in everybody's eyes he was a loser. And there are no second chances for losers. And that while he can be his father's servant, he can never be his father's son again. Now that's the parable Jesus should have told. But he didn't. In Jesus' story, the son is welcomed back into full sonship and given all the resources he needs to succeed. The father is good, but he's not fair. And that's good news. And the last thing we need to remember about the Father is that the Father is rich. The Father is rich. This parable is known as the story of the prodigal son. And as you probably know, the word prodigal doesn't mean bad or runaway. It means wasteful, spendthrift, lavish. And so as many people have pointed out, this isn't the story of the prodigal son at all. It's the story of the prodigal father. The story of a father whose heart is extravagant, wasteful, lavish in the extreme, willing to spend all of his money on his rebellious younger son. In fact, the younger son and the father have a lot in common. They're both wasteful. One with money, the other with grace. This Advent, I'm talking about God's economics, and I think this is a wonderful illustration of God's economy. That God is lavish wasteful, prodigal with his grace. God is not cost-effective. That is not God's economics. 
He lavishes his grace on people that don't deserve it in spite of the fact that that grace was purchased by the sacrifice of his only son who bore the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we could be welcomed home from all of those far countries we go to. That was an expensive Christmas present. You see, God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. We belong to a spendthrift God who foolishly, lavishly, wastefully spends his grace on people like you and people like me who do not deserve it and cannot earn it and can never pay him back, all so that he can say the words to us, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. I have missed you. The father is rich and is prodigal with his grace. I mentioned earlier that at 18, I moved in with my girlfriend against my parents' wishes. And after we had broken up, I was too embarrassed to admit it. So I just sort of kept up the pretense. And one day I was on the phone with my mom and my mom said, Hey, how's your girlfriend? It's funny how mothers know. <laughs> and I said, Oh, she's, she's fine. She's great. And she said, No, really, you sound funny. How's, how's your girlfriend? And she kept pushing. And so finally I told her, Well, we, we've broken up. She's moved out. There was a pause and my mom said, oh, I'm sorry. And then she said, you know, your father and I have been talking and things just aren't the same since you left and we're kind of lonely without you. And you would do your old parents such a favor if you would just ever consider moving home. So two weeks later, I did. (laughs) Thought that was a good offer. And to this day, I have never once heard the words, I told you so or we were right, or I guess you learned your lesson. The only words I ever heard from them were, welcome home. And out of that experience of my failure and loneliness and need and my parents' love, that began a nine-month search in me for God, which led to me accepting Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. My parents had good eyesight. And they were always looking for an opportunity to bring me home, and they never gave up. And while their response to me wasn't fair, especially to my younger brother and sister who had never broken their hearts, good little angels that they are, (laughs) but I have no issues. (laughs) It wasn't fair, but it was good because it gave me a second chance. And if they just rubbed my face in my failure, I, I probably would have just left again. And while my parents certainly did not spare me the consequences of my sin, I had to deal with those for years. And while they didn't approve, the minute I signaled any kind of willingness to come back home, my prodigal parents met me more than halfway. And they generously, extravagantly gave me all the resources I needed to succeed. And if that's my parents who are sinful... How much more can God do for us if only like the prodigal son we will come to our senses and return home? This is a familiar sermon about a very familiar story. But I think the reason it's so familiar to me is not because I've read this story a thousand times, but because it is so much about me and maybe about you too. You see, I am a prodigal child. I am loving yet capable of intense anger, at times even hatred. I am committed to integrity and being above board in all things, and yet on occasion I have told a white lie just to make myself look better. 
I'm vulnerable and open, but only about what I want you to know and what I have prepackaged for your consumption. I am a very self-disciplined person with an incredible capacity for chocolate chip cookies. I deeply desire godly behavior in my life and yet struggle with desires that are in no way godly and that I wrongly assumed would go away with age or marriage or experience or even with being a pastor. I am giving but profoundly selfish. I am full of faith and utterly faithless almost every single day of my life and it is this mess that God says he loves and that he welcomes home. Not because of anything I've done to earn it, or any virtue of mine, because I don't have any. But because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. To pay my debt, and clean me up, and make me whole. So what about you? Where are those far countries that you have run to to get away from God? Maybe you have never told Jesus that you want him to be the leader of your life, and the forgiver of your sins. Maybe this is the day to do it. If you've ever wondered what God is like, this story tells you. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but you've run away to some far country, whatever it is, workaholism, an addiction, some kind of sexual sin, adultery, materialism, just simply being too busy for God except for one hour a week. And what happens to you when out of boredom or old patterns or sheer rebellion you run to that far country? Do you feel him there? Do you hear his voice? searching for you and extending an invitation for you to return home. The Father is rich and he longs to spend his grace on you and me. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Please pray with me. As we pray, maybe you've never had a chance to make Jesus the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins, if you would like to do that now, just silently pray this prayer along with me. Lord, thank you that you're always searching for me. And I'm sorry for all the ways that I run away from you, and I don't want to do that anymore. So Jesus, I ask you to please be my leader and my forgiver. Send your spirit into my heart and make me clean and make me whole and make me new and help me to follow you. If you prayed that prayer, now you're a Christian. Just tell someone that you did that so somebody can help you take the next steps in your faith. For the rest of us who are Christians but have maybe wandered away in some area of our lives, let's just take a few moments as we meditate on his grace through music to tell him that you want to come home. And maybe think of one or two practical things you can do to begin that journey back to him this Christmas. Lord Jesus, thanks for your grace. Thanks for all the ways that you call us home to you. We want to respond to your voice. Amen.